Hey, welcome to The Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. James writes, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So there's a lot to unpack. There's actually um, kind of two big themes that I think James is talking about here, which is wealth and temptation, uh, which thankfully isn't really, you know, a relevant theme to us today. So we can just close our Bibles and go home. Wealth and temptation is not at all something that we struggle with. I think that this is a super relevant passage for us. Wealth and temptation, a just as, if not maybe in some ways more relevant themes that we struggle with today as modern Christians. Um, But first, I want to start off today by looking at a little bit of a case study, looking at a young man by the name of Christopher Wallace. Uh, Christopher was born in 1972 in Brooklyn, New York, to two immigrant parents uh, from Jamaica. And by at the age of two, his father had actually walked out on him and his mother, which meant that his mum had to pick up another job, working two jobs just to raise him um, and keep a roof over their heads and kind of food in the pantry. Um, by 17, Wallace had actually dropped out of school um, and he that year was arrested for being in possession of an unregistered firearm. He was in prison by the time he was 17. Um, the next few years, he was in and out of prison with no real direction, getting caught up in sort of this just whirlwind of gang culture and violence that was really prevalent in Brooklyn um, in that time. And things kind of suddenly changed for him when in 1993, he was signed to a record label called Bad Boy Records, where he took on the moniker The Notorious B.I.G., Now, I probably don't need to tell you guys, rap scene of the 90s was kind of mainly driven by a bunch of young African-Americans who had been really, I suppose, disenfranchised. Um, You know, they'd grown up in in poverty and and gang violence, a lot of them, um, and they really saw rap as their only opportunity to escape this poverty this violence, this downward spiral that they felt caught in. Um, And this is why a lot of the time when you kind of see some like film clips, these music videos of that time, they're just these flagrant, opulent displays of wealth and power and and, and status. It's kind of a stark contrast of all of this sort of wealth just shown and in contrast to their lyrics, which are quite often about the poverty um, and the disenfranchisement that they experienced as kids. This sort of extreme wealth and abject poverty just side by side in a three-minute video clip. And it is this sort of rags-to-riches American dream story that we are told, right, that wealth and power is going to fix all of our problems. In 20, um, at 21, um, 
he released his first album and was declared the rapper of the year by Billboard Music Awards. Um, and his life, Biggie's life, changed drastically. Um, but sadly, this success he was only going to experience for two years because at the age of 24, he was actually shot dead while in his own car in LA promoting his second album. And the assailant was never caught still to this day. But the reason I kind of want to talk about Biggie this morning is I think that there was something that really struck me, which was his most kind of famous and popular song, um, even to this day, was actually released posthumously after his death. Uh, and it's a song that some of you may have heard before, or at least heard the title of it's Mo Money, Mo Problems, which I am painfully aware I'm not pulling off, but more money, more problems is essentially what the song was. And the chorus goes like this. I don't know what they want from me. It's like the more money we come across, the more problems we see. Kind of like this haunting cry from beyond the grave that despite all of this wealth and power and affluence, his dream career that he had managed to attain for himself at the age of 24, he was hopelessly sad. He knew that money wasn't going to make him happy, that it was all going to fade away. And that's kind of what James is writing to us about this morning in slightly different language, but it's this idea, right, that wealth and power fade away. In uh, James 10 and 11, verses 10 and 11, he writes, But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with, scorch, uh, sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. The rich will fade away. Ecclesiastes 5.10 reads, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Last week, a lot of us will probably already know Bill and Melinda Gates, one of the richest couples in the world, announced that they're getting divorced. After 26 years of marriage, three kids, they have decided to tragically call it quits and they're splitting up an empire of $130 billion. Just in the last couple of years, some of the most richest and powerful men in the world, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, all tragically getting divorced. If money really makes you happy, you would think that these guys would be the happiest people in the world. But obviously, there is something deep inside them that still isn't being filled. But it's easy to look at these kind of rich billionaires and just like kind of judge them in their ivory tower, isn't it? You know, kind of go like overlook all of our own moral deficiencies. But <clears throat> did you know, this blew my mind, that just by the sheer fact of living in Sydney, Australia, all of us are in the top 10% richest people in the world. Now, that's actually a really generous assessment. Most of us are probably actually in like top five, maybe even top two. And I was actually shocked to find out how kind of easy it is to be in the top 1% richest people in the world. I think we just need to sit and appreciate for a second how well off we are as Australians, how rich we are, how greatly we've been blessed. So... I kind of think when James is writing in this passage about the rich, he's not just speaking about the Jeff Bezos of this world. He's probably also speaking about us. We are very, very rich. 
If you want to kind of check out when you get home, you can just Google how rich am I? And the first website will pop up. It's a free website you can put in. You might be surprised to find out. So James 1, 9 to 10, he writes, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation. So us as the rich, as the, as the powerful, as the influential, we're supposed to take pride in our humiliation. What does this actually mean? It means despite any, any wealth or influence or power that we have through blessing or hard work, it means nothing in the light of the glory of God. It means nothing. And in the light of Jesus and his eternal salvation that he brings in the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are humbled in our humility as children of God because pride in our faith overrides any pride that we're going to have in any material value anything that this world tells us will make us happy. And then likewise, those in humble circumstances should take pride in their high position in Christ. Because despite any wealth or power or prestige that they could dream of having, they should take pride that their greatest treasure is the kingdom of heaven. So this is what James is kind of saying in this passage But James also doesn't just speak about wealth, as I mentioned. He speaks about temptation, which I want to look at. And I think wealth can be part of that. I think we live in a culture where sometimes we can be faced with this idea of God versus gold. So I think that wealth is a part of it. But I want to look at temptation because I think James is going to change maybe some people's theology here this morning. James 1, 13 to 14 writes, When tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. For each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own sin, by their own evil desire and enticed. God doesn't tempt you. I don't know about you, but that's pretty clear that God doesn't tempt us. And yet I've kind of been given the impression before that maybe God can tempt us. Maybe God does tempt us. God doesn't tempt you. God cannot be tempted by evil and God doesn't tempt us. But that doesn't mean we can't be tempted. So James 1, 14 to 15, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has been conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. So I want to look at at, at temptation. I want to look at this one verse from Proverbs. It says, idle hands are the devil's workshop and idle lips are his mouthpiece. I want to look at this today because I think when we talk about temptation, you know, we've all got some common sense. I think it's pretty obvious that if we do things that we're not supposed to, we're going to set ourselves up for spiritual attack. If we put ourselves in positions and places, hang around with people that we're not supposed to, if we do things that we're not supposed to, we're going to set ourselves up for spiritual attack. But what Proverbs is saying is not only that, but also when you're not doing things that you're supposed to. Right? Not only when you're doing things that you're not supposed to, but when you're not doing things that you're supposed to, you set yourself up for spiritual attack and for temptation. In my experience, it's bored boys who get up to mischief the most, and it's bored girls who tend to get up to gossip. Idle hands and idle lips. It's really interesting. C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters, when the demon Screwtape writes to his nephew Wormwood, he writes, it's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds, as tempting people by putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. 
idle hands and idle lips. And maybe it's because we're not doing what God has designed us to do. Maybe because it's we're not doing what God's calling us to do. Idle hands and idle lips. It's so important then to be developing and investing in rhythms. Deuteronomy 11 reads, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Commit verses to memory. I'm just going to tell you, probably one of the best things my youth leaders did when I was a young teenager was make me commit Job 31.1 to memory. For I've made a covenant with my eyes not to stare lustfully at a young woman. You better believe that verse was helpful growing up, right? And these verses that we commit to memory are swords of the power of the Spirit, right? And this is what we need to be doing. I mean, I know we're kind of going, oh, geez, this kind of seems like hard work. I mean, I didn't know it was going to be homework after say, but listen... Here's an idea. What if we just said, how about I commit one verse to memory each month? Like be really intentional about picking a verse which is relevant to your life, which is relevant to what you are struggling with, what is going on for you personally in your spiritual work, and you commit it to your heart, commit it to your mind. Moses continues, write these words on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So maybe stick it on your fridge. Maybe stick it on your bathroom mirror when you're brushing your teeth. Maybe pop it as a screensaver on your iPhone. The worst that can happen is that this time next year, you'll have 12 verses committed to your heart and memory that you'll be able to use in a moment of temptation. Because this is what we have to be doing, right? This is the model that Jesus sets out for us. When he was in the desert for 40 days, what was he doing when faced with temptation by Satan? He was quoting Deuteronomy back to him, okay? And he wasn't just having lucky guesses, okay? He'd committed these verses to mind. Because when we, when we persevere, James writes in 1.12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. The crown of life, it really struck me. Because I couldn't help but think of that first image that we looked at of Biggie. It's actually the most iconic image of him that's going to come up in a second. It's the picture of him wearing that crown. It's taken in a really iconic shoot. If you're kind of a big rap fan, you know that image. It's called the Coney shoot, the King of New York shoot. Now, that image has been plastered on posters and shirts and appropriated and, and, and parodied, and it's spray-painted on walls all around the world. In fact, there's a big mural of that image in Brooklyn where he was born, where literally, well, pre-COVID, tourists would go every year, right, to take a photo. Now, last September, that actual crown that he wore in that picture sold at auction for $600,000. Now, you might think that that's insane, but I'll one-up you. When it was originally bought in 1997, it was from a costume store for $6. The crown's plastic, right? And that's the crowns of this world that we're promised, right? We're told that they're valuable, that they have this worth, these, these values, that they're going to make us happy and fulfilled. But really, it's just shiny plastic with some buttons stuck to it, right? But we're promised something so much greater. James promises us a crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
You know, the promises of this world are fleeting, but we're called to set our minds on something so much higher. I might just call Thomas back up. I'm just going to finish off. James writes, Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits for all creation. I just, I love that image of us being a first fruits of all creation. Because you know what that makes us when we're the first fruits of all creation? We're a tithe that comes back to God. God created the whole world and now we're coming back to him as the first fruits, as the tithe. Do you know what that makes us? That makes us the 10%. But that makes us rich in the heavenly realm, not in the earthly realm which we probably are as well. But none of that matters. What matters is our heavenly inheritance. That's what James is promising us here this morning. Is that something that you want? Are you sick of $6 crowns that are plastic? Are you sick of promises that this world gives you that fade away? like a flower in the sun. I want to give you the opportunity to receive that crown this morning. If that's something that you've never done, if that's something that you want to inherit, if you want to come back and put that crown back on your head, maybe you've taken it off for a little while. So just with every head bowed and eyes closed, if that's something you want this morning, This is a moment just between you and the King of Heaven. Because Jesus came down to earth as a king in a way that no one expected, as a servant king, as a sacrificial king, who went up on that cross and gave his life. And on the third day defeated the grave and gave us all the Holy Spirit. And now he's seated on a throne in heaven. Jesus is the king of your life today. Do you want to accept that crown? Do you want to accept the Holy Spirit into your life? With every head bowed and every eye closed, it's just a private moment. I want you to just pop up a hand right now if that's something that you want. If you want to accept a heavenly crown, an eternal crown, if you're sick of the things of this world, if you're done, and now you want to be an heir of heaven, inherit the kingdom of heaven, Let us pray. God, I pray that you can help us commit your words to our heart and to our minds. I pray that you can help us be transformed into a closer likeness of you. Lord, I pray that we can rejoice in the crown of eternal life that we inherit from you. Lord, I just want to pray for this meeting today for wisdom and discernment. I pray that this decision that we make as as kings and queens of, of, of your eternal kingdom, God, we are just a footstool to you. And we pray that this decision we make is honoring of you, honoring of your heavenly kingdom. God, we give our lives again to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you 
as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.